Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. So, we have something a little bit different today. One of those things is, of course, me. You may have already heard me on the podcast previously, but on the other side of the mic, so to speak. My name is Martin Evans, and I work very closely with Richard, helping with some parts of the current projects, the lettings and essay side of things, and just helping with the daily general running of the property voice. I'm also an ex-apprentice and one of the current Mastermind members. But enough about me. What we have lined up today is an interview that was recently done between Stephanie Taylor, who is the host of what is a relatively new series called Property Game Changers. This is a series that is hosted on Facebook Live, where Stephanie interviews people that have achieved a certain amount of of success through property investing, which firstly I think is a great format. But also, Stephanie is also a great host and a great interviewer. There are some references coming up that are visual, so if you are curious or just feel like watching the interview, then it will of course be available on the Property Voice YouTube channel, which will be linked in the show notes. So let's get into it. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Hello, 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 and welcome to Property Game Changers Live on the Property Game Changers Facebook group. Every week, we are here talking to people who have changed the game in property. So grab a cup of coffee or a nice wine and soda and join us. We are, we are celebrating the power of ethical property making to, to change lives. We're debunking the myth that you need a lot of money to get started in property. And we're inspiring each other to believe bigger, to be bolder and to be game changers for good. And our game changer today is the uber talented and super engaging Richard W.J. Brown, entrepreneur, property investor, best-selling author, and host of the Property Voice podcast. Richard has been investing in property for over 15 years, including trading and flips, conversions and developments in four countries with over 75 units and assets worth over eight and a half million pounds. He's the founder, as I mentioned, of the hugely popular Property Voice blog and podcast. And he's a twice best-selling Amazon author and YPN magazine columnist, writer, and mentor. In addition to his property experience, he's a many times entrepreneur in fields as diverse as technology, call centers, e-commerce, and commerce with over 30 years professional experience and 18 years in financial services. Richard is married to the lovely Katya and has three adult children. And now I found Richard through his podcast. And what I really loved and fell in love with, if I'm allowed to say that, is that Richard's got a really caring approach, but it's also quite analytical and insightful. He, um, as well as interviewing people, he really shares his own insights and he's so humble that I didn't actually realize how much Richard had done until many years into listening to him on the podcast. And I'm so um, 
relate well to his journey in personal growth as he's been on his property journey. And he started in, in property like I did <coughs> later in life, shall we say. Um, so I'm really excited today that Richard has joined you and I think you're going to really love our conversation. So welcome, property game changer, Richard Brown. Wow, hi, Stephanie. It's a, hi, how are you doing? It's a, what, what an intro. Thank you so much for that. It's a pleasure to be here, by the way. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And if you have questions for Richard while we're talking, um, do put them in the comments. Or if you're just liking Richard's story, give us a hi or a thumbs up underneath. And that we, uh, Richard does have some amazing giveaways uh, later on. But enough of me for now, Richard. Um, well, first of all, where are you? Because that's the story of itself. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't often sort of say this, but yeah, I'm in, I'm in Brazil. Um, I'm talking to you from Brazil. So the wonders of modern technology, eh, first of all, and, um, and I guess you're going to ask me at some point, how on earth do I manage some of what I do, you know, remotely and, you know, without, with this sort of location, etc. So, um, I spread my time between the UK and Brazil predominantly. Uh, but yes, I'm currently in, in Brazil at the moment, as you can probably see with uh, some of the backdrop there. It's not it's not one of those screensaver things. It's I can I can put you on your own, and that gives people a little a little a little bit more a little bit more of, of you. But for many people, Richard, there is a moment um, where they decide to go into property. For some people, it's quite. Um, a stressful moment for other people it's more of a gradual approach um was there a moment like that for you how did you get started seriously into property there was a moment uh, i call it my eureka moment actually so it's funny you should say that and um you also you know said i was started later in life and which is which is also true i was in my uh i was in my mid 40s was i no i was in my early 40s actually and I was working at the time, I was working in financial services for a tech company. Um, so business and business financial services. So really I should know everything about money, right? Um, but I knew it from a business to business perspective, but I didn't really always apply some of the principles personally. But I was um, had a sneaky pint on a summer's evening um, in, a, in a pub beer garden and I was doodling, I was on my own. I was doodling on a napkin and I was doodling property portfolio growth and compound interest, would you believe? Um, mm probably a friday evening i'm not sure but uh, that's how that's what i did and it just struck me um i think i plotted out i could be a millionaire with about 14 properties um you know uh, over time and, and reinvesting profits and it just really struck me that was my, what i call my eureka moment uh it, it changed everything um ironically the just to kind of may lead us into a follow-on but it was another four years between that realization and actually investing properly so, uh, but there was that eureka moment, and I remember it like it was yesterday. So you were doodling, uh, just just going into the doodle a little bit. Were you starting from a set amount of money on this doodle? How were you? How were you starting off? Yeah, well, it was basically um, it was it was like column. It was almost my my own little spreadsheet. I was I was noting down on this napkin with columns. And yes, I started with essentially one property. So I just I picked a notional six um, sorry a hundred thousand pound property, and so what do I need to uh, raise to get into that property, and then just really just extrapolating it out over time, and uh, I think I got to about fourteen properties in a millionaire status um, by the time I got to the bottom of probably the bottom of the pint as well as the bottom of the uh, the doodle. 
<laughs> so really you're thinking of somewhere between maybe 25 and 30,000 pounds to start off with and a millionaire within uh, 14 properties and being able to recycle out your money and yeah. and how do you how do you put a timeline on it uh when you when you did this doodle maybe it wasn't as detailed as all this <laughs> no unfortunately uh, well a few things happened um so mm -hmm. i had the realization but i had i had a few blocks um mm -hmm. uh, mental blocks and also knowledge gaps so mm -hmm. i didn't really know um, so i didn't have 25 to thirty thousand pounds mm -hmm. so that was the first thing and um so i thought you needed 25 to thirty thousand uh, pounds mm -hmm. for every single property um mm -hmm. You know, and, and obviously, if you add that up, that was 14 properties. So help me with the math. But, you know, it was quite mm -hmm. a lot of money, which I just I just did not have. I, I, I wasn't in a fantastic shape financially at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And in fact, to compound it, I'd, I'd also recently gone to see an IFA financial advisor mm -hmm. who told me that to have something like a 30,000 a year pension, I needed to squirrel away. Bear in mind my age. I needed to squirrel away. I think it was 800 pounds a month. Um, to get something like a 30,000 uh, pension in 25 years time. So by the time I was about 65-ish. So um, I didn't have 800 pounds a month either. So I didn't have the, the 25, 30K starting capital and I didn't have the 800 pounds a month um, to get going. So that kind of constrained my thinking quite a bit. So that's that probably played into why there was a four year gap um, between the, you know, the realization that it could change my life and actually making a start where it actually has changed my life, you know, since. So, I'm so Fortun fortunately, I found out the secret after that. But uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll go into the secret. But I really love that you brought all that up because now seeing you and listening to your podcast, hearing the much bigger deals you're doing and the development and so on, which I'm sure we'll come on to. You forget that people started and didn't know all of this at the start. So. Um, you didn't realize that you didn't need, you know, 25 to 30K to get started in property. And so tell us about the secrets. What was the realization there? Okay, so fast forward four years um, from that moment. And uh, so that was, well, it can probably work out. It must have been 2005 because in 2009, I did my first three property deals in that, in that year. That was my first year proper. I did actually have an investment back in the mid 90s, but let's not go there because there is a bit of pain, a bit of pain there. Um, or regret at least because I don't own that property anymore. But, mm -hmm. um, but so, so 2005 was the pub, you know, the Eureka moment and 2009 was the first three properties. And in that first year, I, I've actually jotted down um, some notes here somewhere. And um, my very first property, I had 10,000 pounds. So, and um, I think the total investment required was 120,000. So I needed, I had 10 personally out of 120,000 total investment. Um, and that's, that was my first project. It was a bit hairy um, in many ways, um, probably bit off a little bit more than I could chew in fairness. Um, and then there was two other uh, projects that quickly followed uh, where there was limited amount of money. One, it, one was literally 1500 pounds as a fee. It was hundred percent financing. And there was another one, which was about 10 K um, you know, and was, I think the investment in that was about 110 K. So all in all, I think, you know, for just over 20,000, there was three properties. Uh, in that first year. Um, and that just to quantify, I think the value of those, pro um, those properties was around about half a million ish. And so when I look at a four year delay, I always say that four year delay cost me 2 million. Um, so it's the value, it's the cost of delaying. That's the cost of delaying. 
So mm -hmm. I, I could be sat, I could have been sat here four years ago and, you know, you know, be in the position I am in today, had I started back then. And what I didn't know, the secret is I didn't need all of that money myself. That is the secret. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the principle of using leverage the principle of using other people's money, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to, to grow was the secret and, and that's the foundation of a lot of what happened we it's not the only foundation or the only secret as it were but it was certainly a big part of it and just i just want to dwell on this a little bit longer so many many people perhaps not even the people who are even aware to be watching something like this or listening to something like this would be thinking yes i'd love to get started in property i'm a bit behind where i wanted to have been by this period in time and they had the mindset um that you had how did you go from that mindset to three properties in in three years worth half a million pounds you make a really good point actually again sorry three properties in a year sorry i just yeah no no it's fine it's fine light's gone off for some reason don't know why but um the um the you make a really good point because it's multi-leveled i think the first thing is mindset is belief um and so do you know if you start believing it's possible and you you can actually attract things into your life frankly mm -hmm. i know it sounds a bit woo-woo and a bit out there um mm -hmm. uh, but that's something that you know the power of our subconscious the power of the universe frankly i know it sounds weird but it works so that was one thing the second thing is I didn't know what I didn't know. So there was a knowledge gap. And so in that four years, I, I started teaching myself. I started learning and being educated. It was a bit hairy around then, around about 2005, 2006. Um, the market was going crazy. There was all sorts of crazy things happening. And there was lots of um, dodgy sorts of advice and mm -hmm. schemes around that you had to sort of pick your way through. Um, but, you know, essentially I, I got the knowledge. So the belief and the knowledge were two, two major things, I think, that came together. Um, to enable that to happen. And then I think, you know, it's finding your flow, finding your fit. So for me, um, I, what I call a value adding investor. So people do things in different ways. For me, it's, you know, uh, I like to quote Warren Buffett a lot. I don't liken him, liken myself to him in many, many ways, but I really like him, like him and his principles, but uh, he's a value investor. And I think I'm a value adding investor. So I'm always looking to create value. Uh, create opportunity opportunities out of things and add value and, and maybe recycle and so that became my core really adding value and recycling my cash because i didn't have a lot of it frankly so i had to make it work really hard for me uh, the cash that i did have but you know unlike perhaps you i know that you've you've done things like rent to rent it's certainly to get started um i didn't follow that line you know i followed more of a, a, a investor a small developer type of route um and you know Frankly, I uh, worked a little bit less, probably. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I, I think you know, do, do a bit of work at the front end and then it pays you, you know, um, repeatedly. Well, so I, think that, I think that was the, the big difference. Sorry. You can safely say that you work a little less when you're sitting uh, in Brazil, let's face it, Richard. Um, we've had a comment from Richard Parker who says, impressive journey, Richard. What's one thing, if there is one, that you would do differently if you were starting out again? Thanks, uh, thanks, Richard, for the question. Um, there's more than one thing. <laughs> there's actually more than one thing, so it's like picking which one. I definitely start sooner. So, I mean, that's the easiest one. I, mean, I told you it cost me two million quid to uh, sit around for four years. So, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, I'd start. I would have started sooner. And I think, um, I, I think the probably the other thing is to is to work on mindset. 
um, mm. because I had some blocks, my blocks, uh, you know, that, that existed, uh, belief blocks. And so to kind of get them out of the way, um, you can do that yourself through personal growth and development, but you can also bring in other people around you um, mm. who can raise you up. Uh, so they're the, probably the biggest things. Work on mindset and, and start as soon as you possibly can. And you'll make some mistakes, but guess what? In property, time's a great, you know, it's a great healer. It's very forgiving. So, um, you know, there's always a price to our education, by the way, um, whether we pay for it in terms of courses and training and things like that, or experience. Brilliant answer. Thanks, Richard. And we've also had a comment from Howard saying it's a great video. Um, so let's move on, Richard. So you, you, you got started. It's 2009. You bought three properties for 120 grand um, that are worth. 500,000 pounds and tell us where it where you went from those three to where you are now that's a big question yeah, I had about 20 grand but 120 grand so um the the they were maybe grand. the numbers got yeah I had 20 grand to, for the three properties well more or less um so I, I hustled quite a bit and um and I scaled through you know the BRR strategy by refurbished refinance strategy it was predominantly with uh, single unit um, properties to begin with. Um, and then I realized that I could scale up a little bit as a lot of people do. So I moved into HMOs uh, at some point. And I think around about 2012, I, you know, I, ha I had a, a, a foundation of income. It was about 3000 a month, something of that order. And I, I put my hand up for voluntary redundancy at work. I was, so I was still working those first three years. And mm -hmm. what I was doing, I was doing, you know, um, on the side, it was a side hustle, property investing. Uh, my poor old bosses didn't know that I was taking a few calls now and again, but it wasn't too much, I promise you. You know, I wasn't abusing my time too much and I gave back in different ways, trust me. Mm -hmm. But um, So yeah, I, I scaled up, can't remember the exact number of properties in that three year period, but uh, it was around about 3,000 or so, three and a half thousand in, uh, in income that I had. And um, yeah, I put, put my hand up for redundancy in, in 2012. I got a small payoff, not a really big one, uh, because putting your hand up, you don't get the best payoff. Uh, yeah. And that obviously that now enabled me to sort of go again. And I replaced the uh, six figure income in after the first year, pretty much. It was 11 months, 11 months after um, going full time um, in, in property, which was 2012. And one thing I want to call out there is you just mentioned the six figure income. And previous to that, you said, actually, you weren't in a great place financially so some people think you know the higher the income the better place you're going to be in but that's not always the case and actually even with a low income you can or lower income you can invest save invest and become a millionaire or whatever is your your goal um so i just want to highlight that we've had another question so uh, from Sergio, who said, Hi, Richard, congratulations on your amazing journey. What made you choosing property as the vehicle to freedom as opposed to other investments? Mm, really good. Another really good question. Thanks, Sergio, for that. I, I think um, properties always got an in, what I call an intrinsic value. So mm -hmm. people will always need to live somewhere. And uh, even if there's a, a property crash, you know, a, you know those headlines that you see, and we've seen a few, by the way, in recent times, certainly whilst I've been uh, operating, a property crash is maybe 15%, uh, you know, reduction in pricing. Well, that still leaves 85%. And if it's really bad, it's maybe 20% 20, 20 crash or 25% crash. It still leaves, you know, 75% or more value in that, in that asset 
which um, if you look at stock stock market right now, if you just look at um, companies that are closing, uh, a stock market crash can often mean companies going bust and being worth zero. So I think, um, you know, stock market is the other classic um, asset class that people tend to invest in. But a lot of companies can literally go to zero. And I just didn't think property would go to zero. Uh, it might happen, but I don't think it will. I mean, I'm not a fortune teller. Um, so stock market was another one of those asset classes that I looked into, um, you know, stocks and shares investing. And I think the other really big difference with property is the ability to leverage. Um, so you don't need all of the money to acquire the asset yourself. Um, there's this beautiful thing called buy-to-let mortgages or you know, other types of financing where a lender will effectively, um, you know, put in the lion's share of the, of the investment. Uh, and if we get into things like bridging finance and developer finance, you know, and, and other forms of more uh, complex creative financing strategies, you know, you can put in surprisingly low amounts. Um, so the, the ability to leverage um, has the, there's a, there's a double-edged sword with leverage. Uh, obviously, it can magnify your profits, but it can also magnify your losses too. So you need to be cautious. And so I always try and protect the downside, um, you know, because of the, the potential risk. But that was that was the main reason why I chose property above, uh, say, other assets. Um, Richard, there's so much to talk about with you, and I really do want to get into, you know, the journey onto where you've, you've gotten to. But just before we do, I do want to ask again, because I don't think we've explicitly touched on it. So you've had if I've got this correct now, £20,000 of your own money, you had the values that you needed for the three property, or the amount you needed for the three property, is that 120000 I think I, I mixed a couple of examples, yeah, for you, so, which probably confuses them, so apologies yeah. for that. So my yeah. very first property, I needed um, £10,000 of my own money, mm -hmm. and, you know, that was my cash, personal cash, from a bonus, actually, at work. And mm -hmm. um, and it was the total investment. So the purchase price was seventy five thousand, and there were other costs, which it was big refurb, very big refurb, which took it up to uh, one hundred and twenty thousand. So my ten and uh, on a total investment of one hundred and twenty thousand, um, and that property was worth one hundred and fifty actually once it was uh, once it was fully renovated. So that's that was the first property. The second property was um, it was in Portugal. And it was, uh, I needed 1,500 pounds. Uh, yeah, 1,500 pounds is a fee. Um, but I got 100% bank financing on the property and it was 180,000 euros. So I basically got 180,000 euro property for 1,500 pounds. And today that's worth 370, I think it is, 370,000 euros. And then the third one I mentioned um, was roughly 10,000 of my own cash. I took, um, there was a developer who was who'd completed uh, a development and had some remaining units and they wanted to get off site. Uh, I don't recommend off plan, but um, completed developments are a different story. And so they wanted to get off site. So they were offering some pretty big discounts to move some of the last units. Um, and they were they were prepared to do short term financing on it as well. So I got 100 percent financing. Um, the 10K I spent on that was essentially fees. Um, and then I sold that property for 130,000. that. What I did there is I, I did a flip, uh, I sold it to the sitting tenant because it was pre-tenanted and uh, I used the profit from that to subsidize one of my next deals. So I don't know if that's clarified it a bit more for you. It's probably yeah. about 21 and a half thousand of, of investment uh, in that first year. So what I was trying to get to is there's obviously a big gap or there was a big gap between what was required, what you had. And I was just interested to give people ideas about how you bridge that gap as a beginner and in yeah. some cases it was well those are part, days 
gone by now. You could get 100% finance from the banks, um, but um, that, that's that's not uh, mainly or not straightforwardly available in the same way now. And so move us on from there about. Um, let, let me let me say what is available now because one okay. thing I didn't stress is that on, on one of those properties I had a friends and family loan. So um, you know, so if you if you've got you know people who love you, they'll probably give you better terms. Um, so um, so I was able to on that first property I mentioned, the one I, I said I had ten thousand of my own money. I actually had fifty thousand pounds come in from friends and family, so uh, to help me get going in that. So uh, be nice to your friends and family because they can help you get started into this business, um, but be careful with their money too. Yes, and it's surprising, isn't? Oh, I don't know if you found this. It's surprising who has actually starts. Uh, Offering you money and foisting money upon you once you start uh, once you start getting into property and uh, they they they're impressed by what by what you're achieving. Um, so you started off in 2009, as we said. Tell us a little bit more about what's happened since then. Yeah, so I mentioned um, you know did a you know I, I kind of had a cookie cutter type of model buy refurbish refinance perhaps some of the. Um, the units I was converting were single lets, some, and then I moved to HMOs and a couple of uh, service departments as well. And that mm -hmm. took me probably, you know, fairly consistently until around about 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think I probably got to around about 25 units, something like that, around about mm -hmm. that number by about 2018, something. Mm -hmm. And then, then things took off. And uh, mm -hmm. so since 20, around about 2018, it's, I've scaled to about 75, you know, units, and mm. that's with larger multiple developments. And that was another aha moment. That was another sort of realization that, you know, I had my own blocks, my own glass ceiling, if you like. And um, I, I was like, I was quite happy poodling along doing one, you know, ones and, and small HMOs. And then suddenly I, I realized that actually just doing a sort of a larger project, you know, between four and 12 units. Uh, as a conversion in particular, that's what I moved into, commercial conversions. Um, it didn't take that much more um, to work for, for, for sure. It took more money uh, and you needed a different team um, to, to execute, but essentially you could, you could you know, if, if invest a similar amount of time. Some of the principles I'd already learned, I could apply to that. And so I started scaling and doing larger projects. And that's where the growth came, really the explosive growth. So the curve kind of went up uh, quite a bit from 2018. So approximately another 50 units have been added in that uh, in that approximate two year period. That is really interesting, isn't it? Because from 2009 to 2018, you've gone to 25 units and then you've massively gone up again within two years because of, as you said, everything you've learned has taken you to that place. But tell us a little bit about the mindset of going from, you know, your smaller units, small developments, you feel quite happy with them, you know how to do them, to do these multiple um, units. Yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's really interesting because there's, there's um, I think you go in stages and, and levels um, as, you, as you go through the journey. So I always talk about fix and flex. Um, so you fix on a strategy or a route or a direction and goals. And then you get there and it's, I liken it to climbing a mountain. So there's a peak up here and you might not even see the peak because it's covered in clouds, for example. You might be able to see the peak, but it looks so massive to scale. But if you can get to the first level, then you've got a different perspective. And so you can see another level and then you can just move up this mountain. So I think that was what was happening with me is, you know, I was developing greater belief as I was getting more experience. 
-hmm. And then I just, the, the block was, you know, there was a money block in particular because I didn't really understand about development finance in particular. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of the projects that I was working on, the, the referred element was quite small relative to the overall uh, value of the, pro the project. Whereas on something like a conversion project, it actually flips around the other way. You know, so um, an example is one of the, the latest projects I've been working on. I'm looking at a crib sheet here. Uh, I paid 250000 for a you know, fairly run down um, former office warehouse type of unit. Um, and the, the development cost on that was 730000 in total, including the purchase price. So yeah. it was doubled again uh, to develop it out. But the, um, that's got a GV, gross development value of a million. Um, and I've, I've, I've sold it. Um, I didn't intend to sell it, but I decided to and can talk about that later. My, my principal strategy is not to sell. Um, but on, you know, strategically I will sell. And so I, I got a good offer. So I agreed to sell that one. And, um, but I've also retained part of the, the plot for myself. So there's a bit of value I've retained there as well. So I think it was belief. I think it was know-how, but you don't just walk into development finance either. So you need a track record. It's a bit of a chicken and egg situation with what I call the institutional lenders, because they won't just usually this is they usually won't give you development finance unless you can prove that you've done a project like they would lend it on you but how can you do the project if you haven't got the money so it's you know it's a difficult one so i bridge the gap between you know getting the you know institutional development finance and doing smaller projects with private financing so uh, and and all that meant was i just needed to change the conversation uh, i needed to change my mindset but then i needed to change the conversation and I've got three or four really good uh, private investors that have been with me now for a few years and they've rolled over on, on a couple of different projects, their funds. Uh, they're fantastic people, um, you know, genuine friends, I would, I would say they are. And so um, that, that's changed the world for me, you know, having them around me. Uh, by the way, when you talked earlier about, isn't it interesting how, who comes and offers you money and things like that? I, I, had, I, I didn't actually get a lot of that, even though I talked about having friends and family, you know, offering money to begin with. Um, it took about five years before I could break through about 250,000 of funds raised. Uh, but now I've raised over 5 million, you know, in, in the second half of that 10 year cycle. So um, I know I'm going on a bit, shut me up if you need to. But, um, you know, I think the big part of it was belief. Uh, then there was sort of this know-how. And, and here's the thing, frame, the way you frame uh, problems or, or issues in your mind is a big deal. So I used to say things like, I can't do that you know already, Stephanie, where I'm going, you know, because you're putting a limiting belief on yourself with that kind of statement. But it was like, I can't do that. I, I, know, I can do ones and twos. I can do a little HMO. I can't do a commercial conversion. I can't do it. I haven't got the money. And then I reframe that as, how can I do that? Mm -hmm. And so once you then pose it as a, as a problem, as a question, your mind starts working. I literally, I woke up in the middle of the night with answers. Um, and mm. people were coming into my life with solutions. And yeah. it was just amazing. It's just amazing. And uh, it's quite a journey. And uh, like I say, you're just moving up this mountain, um, you know, scaling as you go, but you have to become something to get to the top and you have to grow into that because I do believe um, we're not given, you know, stewardship or custodianship of, of, of high value things unless we've got the responsibility to be able to take care of them properly. So um, we have to grow into that capability, mm -hmm. if you like, and it takes some time, unfortunately. Um, there probably are ways to hack it and fast track it you know, it took me a little while before I kind of realized. So maybe people can learn uh, and do it faster than I did um, by just listening to what I did and doing a little bit sooner. Yeah, well, 
a couple of things. I know from listening to your podcast, for example, that you're in groups now with um, people who are doing very similar and in some cases much bigger things. And that really helped. And I also know that you have your own uh, mentorship groups um, where you've had a series on fairly recently where the people in your mentorship groups have been talking about. And that's been so um, interesting and instructive because they're going to their place in the mountain and you're also moving to a different place on the mountain. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about maybe first of all the sort of mentorship um, that you have sought out and and then perhaps you could go on to the, the mentorship that you, you're offering? Yeah, uh, sure. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is we can be our own mentor. Um, mm. So, we, and you know, it's an interesting one. And I think um, my wife, who you, you met earlier briefly, I think, I'm not sure if you saw her, but you certainly yeah. probably heard her. But she, she always says, you know, ask good questions. And um, we can ask ourselves good questions. And mm. if we've got an open mind to what the response is, rather than being defensive or whatever, judgmental or, you know, closed-minded, we can get answers. So we can be our own mentor, but equally, we only know what we know. So I think it's great to get an external input. So in my own particular case, I've, I've got a couple of really good uh, property buddies, as I call them. Um, I would say they're peers, you know, at similar sort of level as me. Um, no offense to anyone, we were kind of just in that sort of space. So, uh, and we bounce things off each other and we can be really open and we're very insightful. And, you know, we just say, well, this is the problem. And they go, oh, well, I've, have you tried that? Uh, no, oh, okay, fine, just get on with that. And it's just that idea of being able to bounce off someone. So that was one level. Um, then another level is, you know, I'm a member of a mastermind group. It's actually a US one. And um, I was seeking, seeking out mentorship myself uh, because, you know, I think we're all on this mountain. So keep my mountain analogy going. And if you can imagine the rope, well, someone, you know, you're, someone's pulling someone else up the mountain, but that person will lose their energy and will, you know, lose their drive and focus if there's no one else pulling them up the mountain. So, you know, I need to look up and be pulled up the mountain as well. So I'm looking up to people who can challenge and stretch me um, and give me sort of, you know, something to aspire to. Uh, and so I'm, I'm doing that with my own group. And of course, I'm, I'm doing something similar. I don't mean it to sound it in a way that is, is anyway condescending because I don't mean it that way, just at different stages of this journey. So I'm, I'm actually helping people up the mountain. And of course, you've got people on, the, on a similar level all supporting one another because things can get tough. Um, so it's great to have that little bit of support and accountability alongside you as well. So there's a couple of different levels there, above, below, and then on the same sort of level for a full 360 perspective, if you like. That that is so powerful, and I really love that you brought up that you can be your own mentor, um, because I think that's one of the things that we're as humans on default setting are quite bad at. But when you bring some consciousness to it, it's really uh, easy to get good at being your own mentor as well, and it adds a new dimension. There's so much uh, more I want to go in. We have had another question. So Ashmar has asked. A very good question, which is excellent start, Richard. How did you manage to find three deals while working full time? And addition, one was in Portugal in a year. Any tips? And was it through networking? I guess when you put it like that. <laughs> um, well, I think to be fair, in the early in the early stages of uh, my investing um, journey, if you want to use that phrase, I, I used you know third parties, deal sources, and brokers pre predominantly. 
to find me deals because time was precious. Time was a premium. I was working full time. I had a, a high, you know, powered job in a way. It was it was targeted, and I had to dedicate a lot of time to it. So I didn't I didn't have a lot of free time. Um, so um, I outsourced, if you like, the deal finding role to third parties, and I paid them fees. So that's how I found my first deals. And the Portugal one was through an IFA. The, um, the I'm trying to think now. There were deal sources for the other two. So I, I paid fees. And you know, what's the value of your time? Um, so I kind of worked out that you know I think I paid on average. Well, I paid fifteen hundred for the Portugal uh, IFA uh, deal, and I think I paid around about three thousand pounds each, something of that order the other two so um what's the value of my time um so it, it could take an awful lot of time and as i was working i thought it was better to not lose my job and uh, and actually pay someone else to find them as time has gone by to pick up the secondary question about networking um referrals and networking has played a much bigger part in how i find opportunities and in fact i don't think i've paid a sourcing fee now for a number of years so um, things have come to me through referral, through networking, um, it's probably, yeah, and self-sourcing. Self, self so I've developed a few systems that I would use myself, but um, I have people working with me now who help me to do that. So it's a bit of a, an internal function. And I'm guessing that with the Property Voice podcast, um, perhaps is that how you're, you've, one way that you've grown your network and, and found deals as well through the podcast? Yeah, so the so I've always had a passion for sharing knowledge. Um, you know, so it started really. Uh, well, there were two reasons why I started. One was so I didn't forget things that I was learning. So it was a great place to store, uh, you know, centrally uh, information, uh, so I wouldn't forget it because sometimes my memory gets a bit ropey. And um, and then the second reason is I really I have this sort of you know teaching mentoring type of spirit in me, you know, and that's, that's never going to go. It's it's probably my purpose actually. You know, is to share that knowledge. Um, and then before I knew it, you know, people starting to connect with me and ask me questions and, you know, seek me out in one way or another. So I found I was answering forum posts. I found, you know, people writing emails and I was giving hints and tips. And of course, I knew less when I started. Well, I found this out. Maybe this will help you. Um, you know, but as time has gone on, of course, I've learned quite a lot through my own experience and through the knowledge. And, um, and then it's become... I guess, you know, a, a bit of an authority uh, I, in some senses, you know, it's, it's not just, I mean, lots of people have started a podcast, uh, as you know, and haven't, they're not still doing a podcast. So yeah. it's been over five years. I forgot it was, I looked it up before, before we started talking and it was yeah. um, the third, third of April, 2015 is my very first podcast episode. So it's over five years now. So you've got this library bank, you've got, you know, you, you, you are literally talking about your own values, who you are as a person yeah. every single week for five and a half years. So you're putting yourself out there and then that attracts people to you of all types. So I've attracted investment, I've attracted deals, I've attracted um, suppliers, uh, partners, um, not life partners, but you know, <laughs> business partners, um, as a result of having the podcast and also the books that I've written too. So yeah. uh, uh, this content, you know, putting good content out can attract people into your uh, inner circle, let's say that. Yeah, um, Ajmal's just thanking you for for uh, your answer there, and and started just saying uh, hello. Let's move on, actually, uh, because there's so much to cover with you, Richard. I, I'm not sure we'll get through it all, but let's certainly talk about the book. So, can you talk to us more about your property investor toolkit book? This one. 
Funny you should have that there. Quite a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Well, we might come back to that later. So, um, so 2015 was a big year for me because obviously I've just mentioned that we, we launched a podcast in 2015 and later that year I released that book. As you can see, it's quite, it's not quite not a very big book. Um, it's called Toolkit for a reason. And um, I, I, can't, I, I have to say, I, I always say it took me 30 years to write that book because yeah. I don't know if you can hear that. There's uh, some noise in the background, but hopefully it's not mm -hmm. disturbing you. But I say it took me 30 years because I always wanted to write a book. But you know, a bit like think if you don't if you don't have clarity, um, it doesn't get done. So I wanted to write a book, but I didn't know what about. So I had all sorts of ideas, which I probably won't share with you uh, now. One was like a version of a Haynes manual for parenting, you know. So it's kind of yeah, I haven't written that book yet. And um, and then so I, I just started to assemble, if you like, some you know, uh, like a flow, natural flow of starting out in property. What are the things you need to look out for? What are the foundational points? And what are the things that can help you to avoid some of the pitfalls? And then it, it just turned into a book. And I, I locked myself away for a, uh, a long weekend. Uh, well, there were a couple of long stints because I tend to write in, in, in batches. So there were a couple of uh, events where I wrote that book. And uh, yeah, I launched it in 2015. And um, it's, it's, it's done pretty well. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a toolkit, as I mentioned. It's got lots of resources that are linked to it. So I tried to do something a little bit different. So it's got a lot of external resources. And if people write in, they get, you know, some bonuses like spreadsheets and things like that, checklists, that sort of thing. So I just wanted, I wanted to write a book which would help someone starting out, um, you know, to avoid some of the pitfalls that, you know, want it, don't wait four years and things like that. <laughs> and already, you know, the questions that you get, that we're getting today on the podcast, all the foundations for it will be in that Property Investor Toolkit. And I know you've got another book, Richard, so talk to us about, about what's in your second book. That one. <laughs> yeah. So, hashtag prop tech. So this is really interesting because uh, I guess this this was uh, I spent a year of my life around about 2017 I think it was um, delving into uh, it was very self indulgent in a way the idea of prop tech. Um, now I've been told because we did a whole podcast series on it I've been told it was a bit heavy. Um, so uh, yeah, listen to the feedback. But I was immersed into it. I was really fascinated by, by the idea of prop tech. So it's property and technology coming together. That was the principle of this. And I do believe it's, um, it's the future. Um, but maybe the future isn't quite honest just yet. And maybe it's an idea ahead of its time. So if you're interested potentially in looking at trends, if you're looking at maybe how technology, I think, will change property for all of us, and to be prepared for that, or even to capitalize on that, then prop tech Hashtag PropTech is the book for you. But I think it's very self-indulgent. I just was fascinated by talking to some of these founders of tech companies, PropTech companies, and uh, learning all about blockchain and the sharing economy and you know, artificial intelligence and all of this other stuff. So it was um, a, a, something of a passion project. Um, but, you know, and then I was invited to speak on the topic and I was like, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm really, I'm really not an expert on, on PropTech. So I felt a little bit embarrassed about being you know, asked to speak. Um, so I'm still a student of uh, prop tech. Um, so I think, you know, property strategy, uh, how to, you know, structure deals and things like that is really my forte, my domain, if you like. Uh, and prop tech was this sort of passion project I got really interested in a, and a heart for. So that's that one. But yeah, it's, um, it's there if you'd like to read up about the uh, trends that are, are coming, some of which are upon us already. 
Fabulous. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so I know the Property Investor Toolkit, Matthew has commented that the Property Investor Toolkit is still one of the very best property books out there, highly recommended to all. So uh, thanks for you, Matthew, and I would obviously expect that that would be the case. So let's go back thanks, to you. We have had a couple more questions, which I'm going to try and squeeze in, but let, let's get back to your story. Tell us about some of the exciting bigger deals uh that you've now been doing give us give us some examples and maybe some high level understanding yeah so i, I kind of gave one a little bit just now which was the commercial conversion converted into 11 units um mm -hmm. it's uh, paid 250 for it it's, I've, I've sold it i've just sold it for a million um and i carved out a piece of, it's just a warehouse it's a strip on a warehouse but if i tell you this warehouse is um uh, next to a row of terrace houses and if you imagine two terraces being the size of the warehouse, you can probably see where I'm going. Now, if I don't get planning to put two terraces on it, I've got a warehouse, you know, so, um, so I've retained that. So um, I didn't intend to sell that. That was an interesting uh, thing. I've been trying to build my portfolio because I've got a big vision. So my vision now is not just for me anymore. It, it goes beyond me. So uh, why I'm pushing on instead of putting my feet up is because I do have this big vision. Anyway, I digress because you asked me about the, the projects. I've got a care home in uh, in Doncaster, which will be five units, um, mix of uh, conversion and new build. There's, there's uh, three townhouses and uh, two new build bungalows on that particular project. Uh, I've got a four unit, uh, sorry, and I paid, these are round figures because I haven't prepared all of these numbers. Uh, I paid two, again, about 250 for that. Um, it's gonna cost me, uh, 300 to do the conversion uh, of the of into the townhouses and then the bungalows will be free effectively that's what that will happen with that particular one um so the bungalows will probably be worth about 200,000 each um wow. so there'll be a cost actually attached to that so it's not quite 400,000 profit it's a little bit less than mm. that I don't want to mislead people mm. um i've got a new build uh, site down in stoke which is four new builds uh, i bought it with pre-existing planning uh, managed to increase the planning from a, from three beds to four beds, so get a little bit extra uh, out of it there. A uh, couple of um, listed buildings. Can you see my face? Listed buildings. Try not to do too many listed buildings. Um, got a listed building project in um, in Oswest Tree, which is a formal commercial building, which um, I paid 170,000 for, I think it was, and um, just I'm going to sell that one for 470, having spent about uh 150 on converting it uh something of that order so that gives you a bit of a flavor you can see that they're in the sort of four to sort of 12 unit mark i, I was paying approximately you know 180 to 250 you know mainly for those sort of sites i was probably spending depending on the nature of works um up up to um half a million let's say in terms of development and then the gross development values of those would probably be um, Doncaster was a million. Uh, the the conversion I first mentioned was a million. The Ulster Street one's about half a million. So uh, it's in the sort of half a million to a million range at the moment. And guess what? Mm. That's a great glass ceiling, isn't it? You know, so I've, I've pitched myself in that level. Now, could I go and break through the glass ceiling and go above that? I had a realization earlier this year that um, somebody offered me a project where I, it, I would have to spend three million to acquire the uh, the property. And I said, guess what I said to myself, Stephanie? Guess what I said to myself? I said I can't do that. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, and then I caught myself. That's the thing. So when you catch yourself, so I caught myself. Oh, well, hang on a minute. No, no, no. How can I do that? Uh, so I reframed it. How can I do that? And then you never guess what. Within a couple of days, so a couple of people who came into my world who could help me do that deal. As it happened, it fell apart because the, the person who brought me the deal wasn't direct to the vendor and they didn't really have the clout that they, they were saying they did have. So it, it fell apart for that reason. But it really changed my, my thinking that I could move up to another level again. Uh, there was a slight difference there. I wasn't doing too much development. That was more of a paper. That was more of a asset split type. Mm -hmm. so buying a block, converting it into single freeholds, and then selling the units off piecemeal. So um, there was less development risk in that particular one. So I would say that as you scale, uh, there can be, uh, you, you stretch out your comfort zone, uh, you need different skill sets. And so you just manage that risk as you grow, it can be growing pains. So when I was doing the 3 million one, I wanted to do the 3 million one, I de-risked it by not making the development side of it as big. And it was much more of a uh, title split, you know, uh, planning and um, paper-based exercise to reduce the actual development risk that I, I might have had on a smaller project. And I'm sure that people listening will be getting the feeling, perhaps you're already a property investor, you've done lots of things uh, that we were talking about before, single lets, HMOs, and maybe you're wanting to go up a step, but with some expertise, and, and perhaps that would be, or would that be the right sort of person perhaps to join one of your uh, groups, Richard? Do you help people like that who want to do what you're doing? Very much so. In fact, yeah, I've got a real heart for it. Um, you know, I, I call myself a bit of a turnaround guy. Um, uh, and I love to see transition uh, in people, in other people. Uh, it just really lights me up when I see the, that, that light bulb go on in their, in their eyes. Not yeah. just that, that they can do something, but it actually when, when they do it, that really gives me a kick. And so I carve out a lot of time um, in my diary to support people. So I've, we're just about to launch um, TPVA5. Mm, it's very catchy, isn't it? The Property yeah. Voice Apprentice number five, so it'll be the fifth iteration, and that will launch in the, in September. That's that's full. Um, you know, we've got depending on some final you know decisions between four and six people who will join me in that. And I would say that every single uh, yeah, pretty much every single one of those people have got some kind of turnaround or they've mm -hmm. got a crossroads. They've reached a crossroads, and it's like should I go this way? Should I go that way? And and part of my role is to you know facilitate that change with them and help them to to make that move and um i've done it myself obviously more than once because we haven't even spoken about the fact my previous career before property um I, i've taught myself a few industries different industries i've uh, taught myself different property strategies um mm. you know i think hopefully i've got something to give and so hopefully those people who've been through that program um can attest to that but yeah i love it as you can probably tell from the way i'm talking uh, yeah Actually, people can actually, on your podcast, you can hear people talking about what they're doing and what their blocks have been and how they've moved forward and, and they're discussing that with them. Before we close, um, I'll just take one more question and um, then we can have a little bit to talk about your big vision that you mentioned earlier. And But Howard has asked the question, which might be on many people's lips at the moment, how has COVID affected your investing and borrowing? Mm. This is really interesting. Um, I'll tell you why. Because, I mean, I, 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 I mentioned earlier that I, I actually had my first investment in the mid-90s. So it kind of dates me a little bit, doesn't it? But, you know, so the point is that I've been through a number of cycles, economic cycles and property cycles. And guess what? We just go through cycles. There is change. Now we've got COVID. 
Previously, we had the global financial crisis. We had Brexit in between. We'll have Brexit again, uh, you know, as it re reality kicks in. We've had all sorts of economic shocks, you know, the, you know, the tech bubble. Lots of different things have happened. And so what I'm really trying to say is um, COVID is just another of one of those black swan events. Uh, and the, more, the longer we, we, we have been in this business, we, the more we get used to understanding that these black swan events, these unpredictable changes are in fact predictable. So COVID um, is, is another one. I didn't see it coming uh, as specifically, but what I would say is this, I try and talk about bulletproofing uh, our portfolio uh, and protecting the downside. So I've got a few things in place which help in that respect. So not over leveraging, for example, getting fixed rate mortgages, having a contingency fund, they're just some examples. It's not to say that I wasn't affected, I was badly affected. Um, I had the four elements to my um, property. Uh, there's investing, the short-term rentals, there is developments, and there is investor services, effectively like the mentoring. And three out of those four suffered. Um, mm. Service accommodation fell off a cliff overnight. Mm. Uh, developments were, were halted, and uh, I had extra voids uh, in my rental portfolio all at once. So it was fantastic. But um, I think, you know, as you, you try and be prepared for these things, that's the first thing. Second thing is you take action to try and mitigate the damage. So we repurpose the short-term accommodation. Um, I, I put aside different funding mechanisms for the developments and we worked on uh, non-on-site activities like, for example, planning. Um, as far as the, um, in, uh, excuse me, the, in the portfolio is concerned, we tried to minimize voids uh, as much as we possibly could. So you put action in place. You don't put bury your head in the sand. From a borrowing point of view, I think things halted for a period of time. I'll give you an example. I'm currently refinancing some of my US properties. And I started that over three months ago and I still haven't got to the end of, of the refinancing. Um, probably should have just parked it and, and come back in again because some lend, you know, lenders stopped lending, but now they're lending again. So it was temporary is my point. Um, so I think you need to put in some uh, contingencies you need to be uh, not bury your head in the sand and be very, very proactive. And the people who've come out best, you know, here have either pivoted to coin a phrase uh, or taken defensive measures to, you know, for example, service accommodation, one of my units, just to give us very specific example, I was averaging about 17, 18,000 a year in gross rent. Um, and I just, I just put it out there at about, um, I think it's about 650 a month just to get it rented for a short period of time. So I took a hit in terms of the gross revenue, but you know, I'm, I'm, my phrase is live to fight another day. You know, if we protect the downside, we will live to fight another day. And COVID is, is one of those events that, you know, we just need to survive um, from if we're an existing investor. Uh, but equally, we can thrive. So the second part of that equation is I'm looking at opportunities. So that 3 million opportunity I talked about earlier came about in the last few months. Um, so you're looking for opportunities out of adversity as well as protecting the downside as well. So yes, it affected me affected me quite, you know, sharply for a period of time, but defensively and opportunistically, you know, looking for a way out of that planning, I'll wait for it. So thanks for that question. It's a very good one. It's that problem solving again. Now, Richard, an exciting thing for listeners and viewers is that you have some giveaways to tell us about. So sure. um, talk, talk to us about, about that and how people can get involved. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, we've talked about my books. Um, thank you for mentioning those. So what I wanted to do, the first thing is with my books, I want to give away five books um, of your choice. Now, but here's a, there's a twist. Um, I don't want to give it to, to you as an individual, if you're watching and you're, you're listening to this, I want you to nominate someone to receive it. 
So don't try the, oh, I'll just give it to my partner. It's for me, really, type of trick. Um, I want you to be, you know, this is an act of paying it forward. So I'm paying it forward by giving it to you, but you're paying it forward by nominating someone to receive it. So just pick one of the two books, uh, uh, either the, the Toolkit book or PropTech book, and just you know, drop me a line. If you, you send it to admin at thepropertyvoice.net and nominate who you'd like to get that book, I'll send it to them free of charge. Um, so just whichever book it is. That's the first gift. The, the second gift is, is for you if you are looking at this going, how can I you know, follow more and get more? Well, I'm a, a columnist for YPN magazine. I've forgotten how many years now. It's about three, I think. Uh, so I've got a reasonable back catalog. Uh, now, YPN magazine, your property network is subscription. So um, uh, you can subscribe to the magazine and just read the articles. But guess what? I give away all of my articles for free. All you need to do is write that same email address. Thanks for posting it there, Stephanie and uh, ask to get the YPN magazines and you'll get the entire back catalog. There's quite a lot of content, obviously. So that's all free. And that's for you if you'd like to see, you know, some, you know, some of my ramblings over the last few years. And then the third thing is this, uh, this is an experiment. I don't know how this is going to go. We talked about it just quickly, didn't we, before we started. Yeah. But um, I do something called the Apprentice Program, the, the Property Voice Apprentice Program. And that's what you asked me about. And that's what, you know, four to six people are going to start in uh, September. But I've just decided that uh, I've got heart for younger people who are starting out. I've got children, you know, of this sort of age I'm about to talk about, 18 to 25, um, who want to make a start. There's a, there's a, my, my nephew actually is one of these people. And he's saying, what should I do? What should I do? And I'm like, well, you know, read that book. That's a good idea. Uh, you know, and watch this podcast. Or not watch it, but, you know, watch this video and re listen to this podcast. But um, if there's maybe uh, three or four people who are in the age group, 18 to 25, who've got no experience, so you don't know what to do, but you really want to get involved in property. I'm offering to mentor or coach you as a group uh, over the next few weeks. So um, just, just drop me a line. If that's you, we'll have a conversation and, and we'll try and put something together. I don't know what the format's going to look like. There'll probably be a few group calls and maybe some one-to-ones. Uh, and I'm not going to charge for that. I just want to help people. So please respect that I'm not really looking to avoid a, a, a charge for mentoring for people who perhaps you know already doing really well. These people who just want to start uh, and, and sort of make that, because I, I said earlier about start as soon as you can. So if you imagine if you're 18 years old and you did what I did when I was 40 something, you know, so, um, you know, be 30 years old and retired. So uh, that would be, that would give me a lot of um, inspiration to perhaps work with some young people that way. There we go. There's my gifts. That, that's fantastic. So uh, the Young Apprentice um, is for 18 to 25, did, did you say 18 to 25 year olds, yeah. And everyone, uh, whether they are wanting a free gift to nominate a friend or whether they are thinking of themselves or someone they know for the um, Young Apprentice, it's admin at thepropertyvoice.net. And a great way to get started if you want more, Richard, is obviously the Property Voice podcast. So Richard, we have covered a lot today and we've only just barely skimmed across the surface of, of, of what you've been doing um, in life generally and uh, but particularly in the last 15 years in property. And um, we've gleaned just from your current location and you're looking very relaxed there as you sit um, with a cool drink in Brazil. Um, what has been what's really changed the game in your life and your family's life uh, through becoming uh, a, a property investor? What's changed the game or what changes have I seen? Uh, well, I, I've probably confused it. When I 
think of being a game changer, first of all, it changes things for you and your family first, mm -hmm. and then it obviously changes things more widely. But in the first yeah. instance, I'm just asking about for you and your family. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, this this is hard for me sometimes to talk about because I, I, I try and try and be humble. Um, but essentially, um, well, let's just say, but here's here's what our life will look like: is three homes in three locations. Uh, my wife is Brazilian, as I mentioned, and I'm British, so the, there's going to be bases there. And then the third one, we we need to relocate one of our properties to uh, to make this one happen. So this one's still a work in progress. Is um, a home in the mountains. Uh, where we can ski and, and also do summer sports. So that, you know, my, my wife's on her last assignment um, for, from a work point of view. Uh, we're working towards her finishing that in a few years time. And then we're going to flip between those three locations. So we, we can flip between two at the moment. And we'll flip between the third when that happens, if not before, but, you know, around about a sort of time scale and have this sort of international you know, lifestyle, if you like. And um, we already travel to uh, major sporting events like the Olympics. We, we were going to Tokyo uh, this year, but unfortunately, obviously, it's been cancelled. So World Cups and um, Olympics, that's, you know, something we love to attend. We love to ski badly, but love to ski. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the lifestyle that we have. Um, you know, we're not too ostentatious, you know, so they're not mansions or anything that we're talking about, but they're, they're nice bases for us. So that's kind of, you know, and, and it's also helped us to support our, our girls, our, our daughters, we've got three daughters, we've got three daughters. And um, it's funny because I think they're all, uh, they were all living sort of a vocational or almost an activist type of life, um, which is code for they won't be rich. Uh, so we, we're sort of funding their education, we're funding their passion projects as a result of what we've been able to achieve. So that was the, you know, helping other people and building a legacy and passing it on. But we could literally stop right now. We don't need to do any more. Uh, in fact, somebody asked me this question the other day. What, why, are you, why are you carrying on? You know, why are you putting yourself through all this? And um, that's when it comes to the big vision. There's, you know, mentioned it took me 30 years to write a book. Well, I, for um, a, number, a number of years now, probably a couple of decades, I've had this burning desire to have this foundation. Um, I've kind of you know, forgotten about it a few times and let it drift but it won't leave me alone. It's a good test of whether it's your passion, it was when it won't leave you alone. And so um, the, it's, I want to have this foundation. And so what I'm doing right now is essentially, my, our family's gonna be well provided for, but what we're doing now is to grow our asset base so that it, it can outlive us and it can provide foundation. And we really wanna help you know, people from disadvantaged backgrounds, people in developing countries, people who don't have opportunity. Um, you know, we're, we're privileged, we do know that we're privileged and, um, and we're blessed. So we want to pass on some of that privilege and that blessing to other people. So I'm gunning for quite a significant foundation fund, um, which will be asset backed, which will hopefully live on for a few, few generations even after I pass this earth. So that's what keeps me going. That's why I do what I do um, and keep growing and keep sometimes pushing through the pain barrier uh, mm. because it can be. It can be. Oh, it just touches my heart speaking to you, Richard, even, even listening to you on the podcast. But I think today has been really special for me because we found out so much more about you and your story. And I think when you've been talking about it, you do say sometimes you're humble. As I said, to the point where, you know, your, your light doesn't always shine. And you, you've, you've more recently started talking about more about what you do. But it's hugely... Um, it's hugely impressive, but it's also inspirational. And um, I love the way that you are also clearly setting out a roadmap for others who who want to do what you've done. And um, and I love the way you're setting up a foundation to help 
others who may not um, be able to come into this world at all. Um, Richard, Richard is saying, great live, uh, very professional show, and thank you, uh, Richard. There were a few uh, other questions, but sadly, we have run out of time. Um, so, Richard, uh, is there anything else you would like to share that you feel that we've uh, not touched on today that you would like to leave people with? Well, maybe two things. The first thing is to you, actually, Stephanie. So thank you so much. Um, you know, the, I leapt at the opportunity to accept your invitation. I told you before we came on air, but I wanted to say while we're on air as well. Uh, and because I really like what you're doing here, um, you know, it's groundbreaking. And, you know, um, hopefully I've, I'm, I've promoted the, the event as well amongst my community. So maybe you've got a new audience uh, and maybe thank I've got the opportunity of a new audience. So thank you. And I love the way you go about things. Um, and obviously with Nikki, what you're doing there, um, you know, it's, it's fantastic what you're doing. So just hats off to you. Well, well done. I hope you go from strength to strength. But I think the other thing is just to really finish on this point of, um, you know, kind of a reinforcement in a way is that this old dog, that's me, you know, has kind of made a transition and a turnaround, made a lot of mistakes, didn't have a lot to begin with. And, mm -hmm. you know, somehow has kind of done, all, done okay. So I just want to encourage people to, to take control take ownership and take responsibility for their financial futures mm. property is a great way to do that don't hesitate uh, get the support you need i'm not talking about necessarily mentoring the first thing i say to people is you don't need to spend a lot of money uh, you can mentor yourself you can do um, some heavy training uh, and, and just reach out to me and i'll tell you how you can do that no problem uh, but just don't delay don't spend don't waste that four years like i did uh, just get yourself out there there's lots of ways of making a, a go of things in this business you don't have to do it exactly as i did but there's, um, there's a minimum of 40 ways to profit through property because I wrote the article um, on that one. Uh, so yeah, just don't delay, just put yourself out there and go for it and uh, give back as you go. That would probably be my parting comment. Give back as you go um, because you know there's so much reciprocity, so much good feeling and there's so many people in need as well. So just, just give along the way, it'd be a good thing to do. And as we leave you all today, uh, 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 I just caught one of the comments coming in, one of the many comments coming in, uh, uh, Martin saying, great interview, Cordelia saying, thank you, Richard, so many gems, hashtag appreciated. And um, I just want to add my appreciation on top of that, Richard. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing so many uh, incredible, inspirational and also practical uh, steps uh, stories. Um, for now, it's goodbye from Richard Brown. Thank you, thank you um, so much. It, it's goodbye from me. Well, that about wraps it up. What a great interview. I really enjoy listening to people's success stories of how they started out and how they kind of built it up to where they are now. At risk of being told off by Richard, as I know he likes to keep his podcasts to around about an hour, and I'm pretty sure we're over that already. I just wanted to quickly go over my main takeaway from that interview, and it would definitely be around Richard's mindset and how that changed over time. He mentions towards the start of his investing career that he had the mindset of initially going to I can't, but noted that over time it changed to the mindset of how can I? And I think this is a really powerful tool to implement especially when in property or just in general in life. Richard also mentioned that when his mindset changed and he started to implement the how can I, he would find that solutions to the problem 
would come to him, whether it be in the middle of the night, as he mentioned, or the type of people he was looking for came to him. Definitely that was my, my main takeaway, and I'm sure everyone had their own takeaway, or I hope everyone had their own takeaway, and I'm pretty sure you're all raring to go after listening to what is, in my opinion, quite a motivating story. Anyway, I just wanted to highlight that, as I think it's a crucial part of both self-development and business development. As always, the show notes will be over on the website, thepropertyvoice.net, along with links to Stephanie's Game Changer series that I would definitely check out. If you want to reach out to Richard, then you can email him at podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, or if you have any questions for me, then it's martin at thepropertyvoice.net. So a bit of a different format today, but I hope you enjoyed it anyway. And I hope you were able to take away at least one thing that will help you move forward with whatever you're doing right now. That having been said, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.